Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. The 2022 midterm election day may be over, but the results are still rolling in as the nation waits to officially determine the final makeup of Congress. Welcome to NAHU's Healthcare Happy Hour. My name is Priya and I will be your host this week. On today's episode, we have our Vice President of Congressional Affairs, John Green, and HUPAC Manager, Nathan Makla, to discuss the aftermath of Election Day. Welcome back to the podcast, guys, and thank you both for being here again. We discussed the potentials of a Republican-led Congress, as was expected to happen. But as we are seeing now, that may no longer be the case as results continue to come in. What do you think led to this? And what are some of the results that did not come as expected for the Republican Party? Well, thank you for having us today. It was a long night, for sure. The expected red wave did not happen. And I would say it in a nutshell that candidates matter. When you look at some of the candidates that were running throughout the the primary season, it was felt to be rather weak. And I think that combined with the Dodd decision on abortion last summer, actually Democrats ran about 2%, 2 to 3% stronger in their districts than was expected. And so that really diminished the number of seats in blue states that you know, Republicans were expecting uh, to be part of that wave that ended up not materializing. There was a candidate in Ohio where the district lines were purposely redrawn against Kildee. And that person didn't tell the truth about their military experience. And things like that can crush a person's candidacy. She was a very strong worker in her district. That's why she's held that seat for 20 years. Things like that you know, really can diminish the playing field uh, when you have weaker candidates. There were a number of election deniers. And I think that combined with the abortion issue, the far right supporters of Trump running in blue states, that's a tough climb. And that's why I think we had the result that we did in Pennsylvania in the Senate race and other places. I think where abortion also played strong was in blue states like gubernatorial races in Wisconsin, in Michigan and other places. And when you look at the ballot measure in Kentucky, all sending a signal that this actually did play a bigger role in the election, though, you know, the economy, inflation, crime were significant issues. I think when you talk about taking away a person's rights, that's a very personal issue and it played more significantly than was given credit. There was a race in Colorado, Lauren uh, Boebert, who is a, you know, in a ruby red district, is actually losing. Now that outcome still hasn't been decided, but right at the moment, she is losing. Right now, where things stand is that there are 184 or so seats decided for Democrats and 207 for Republicans, and there are 45 yet to be called. 
So it definitely favors a Republican takeover, but by a very small margin. So imagine what the margins are today and just flip it. That's the kind of majority Kevin McCarthy will have, which really makes for an unsteady situation because the more far right members, the Freedom Caucus in the conference that he will have to manage. And so I think that they have figured out that they have greater leverage and it's not a, a certain certainty that McCarthy will be the leader of the Republicans in the next Congress. In fact, we received a notice that he sent to his caucus following the election asking for their support. And so did Steve Scalise for being the majority. A lot remains to be seen because of these outstanding races, but they're already starting to think about the dynamics in the next Congress as a result of Tuesday's election. We started off this season telling you that it could be days or weeks before we had full results, and that is playing out And this is largely due to the mail-in ballot issue, where so many people sent in mail-in ballots. Many of these races are yet to be decided or along the Pacific Coast, 20 or so in California and the remainder in Washington and Oregon. Democrats are pretty solid in 10 of those California, and a handful are solid D in Washington and Oregon. So mail-in balloting tends to favor Democrats just because of who seems to gravitate towards that method of voting. Nevada, for example, the Senate race remains to be called. Uh, Laxalt is leading at the moment, but their voters tend to show up on voting day. There are thousands of ballots yet to be counted in Nevada, which is why that's still hanging out there. And it could be several days, maybe even into next week before we know what happens there. We know for sure that Georgia is now going to a runoff because neither candidate achieved 50%. That's December 6th, that's almost a month from now. We don't know what's gonna happen in Arizona yet either for the same reason they're still counting ballots there. There, In fact, there are a significant number of ballots to determine the governor's race there as well as the Senate race. But Democratic senator there has a a pretty good lead right now. And so let's just say for the sake of argument that uh, Republicans pick up Nevada, they hold in Arizona, Georgia again, it's deja vu all over again to see who will control the Senate. What happened in Georgia that won't happen in in the last Tuesday is that there won't be a third candidate in that mix. That person drew over 2% of the vote that was believed to affect Herschel Walker more. And so all things being equal, that would have been enough to tip the balance in Georgia. Like the Jeopardy championship where you have a two-day contest and they wipe it out the first days and you know it all on the next day. So you can imagine the fundraising has already started for this contest in December. I think based on what happened last time, it's gonna be uh, pretty brutal. But again, we'll know the results in Nevada and Arizona, and and that will, I think, kind of temper how fierce it, it actually gets in Georgia. 
So with respect to, you know, I mentioned how the, the fight for leadership positions in the House were affected, but it also has affected the Democratic side in the belief that there was a wave coming. Speaker Pelosi had indicated that uh, this would be her last time as speaker, but these election results were not what was anticipated. It's so much closer. The feeling now is that it's really up to her to decide whether she wants to continue as leader of the Democratic caucus or not. And this has a lot to do with the fact that she raises a great deal of money for the party. In fact, more than anyone. Since she's been in leadership, she's raised $1.2 billion. And in this cycle, she raised $276 million. That's a lot of money that she traveled everywhere. She handed out a lot of money. According to many sources on the Hill, this decision will be up to her. Of course, there is a contingent of younger legislators who are chomping at the bit to take you know, the reins of the caucus. You know, Steny Hoyer definitely had indicated that he wanted to wait till the dust settled. But Tuesday night's uncertainty and surprise really leaves the door open for Speaker Pelosi, who has been the most powerful speaker ever. I agree that this decision will be hers. I think what complicates it was the attack on her husband, Paul. I think that that's a very personal and emotional situation. That should have never happened, of course. But I think that will truly weigh into her decision about whether to stay or go. Nate, do you have anything to say on the results of the election? Sure. Thank you, Priya. This is Nathan, the HUPAC manager. And I'm just quickly going to talk about some successes we had. And so we did contribute to a lot of the candidates and some of these races that John has mentioned and some of these states John has mentioned. But I was just going to highlight a few. We definitely suffered some losses of people we donated to, but we have quite a few candidates who have won or are winning in their races. One being Angie Craig of Minnesota. No one was sure if she was going to win. We had maxed out to her in the primary in general. She worked in health insurance before. And so she won her race. Nebraska, two with Don Bacon. That was sort of a toss-up. And I know our members are very close with him, and we've given a lot to him. He won his race. So that was a, a quite a good win. We had given to most of these members in Nevada. Having said that, we don't know if they won or not. But there were some members like Horsford and Stephen Horsford and Susie Lee of Nevada. So we'll see if they hold on. So yeah, there was some there were some successful candidates who were listed as a toss-up or as a tilt one way or the other. And um, we really were not sure specifically if the Democrats could even could even hold those seats. Um, and it does seem that being an incumbent mattered. Um, people like did support a lot of the incumbents, which is going to be very good for HUPAC because generally we mostly only give to incumbents we know and we work with on the Hill. So having them stay, we don't have to rebrand. We don't have to tell our message still. We we know them. They've been to our events. They've been supported by our members. And so the ones that got reelected, that's a good thing for us. And that's that's the whole goal of HUPAC is to, to keep those incumbents in office that know our message and support our future endeavors. So great. Thank you so much, Nathan. So some important ballot measures in regards to healthcare have been passed in a few states, such as Arizona. South Dakota actually passed a measure to expand Medicaid, despite being heavily contested in the mainly red state. So what does this mean for the future of healthcare in that state? 
Well, you know, that's actually a very, I think, significant win for those who have been advocating for expansion of Medicaid. You know, healthcare is very expensive and the, the potential dollars to provide uh, safety net assistance to people is quite significant. And so drawing those federal dollars can really help out the state budget. So I think once a, a benefit is given, as I alluded to earlier, it's hard to take it back. Maybe other states that have not availed themselves of that expansion may also do so. You know, I would really hope that we could turn a corner towards more bipartisan work going forward, and that's kind of a positive sign. Now that we are past the election date, do we have any ideas on what Congress is going to tackle in the lame duck session through the end of the year? So interestingly, I think the results complicate what might be achievable during lame duck. Because if things stay substantially the same, or even if Republicans prevail, let's say, in the House, as they are expected to, you know, as I said, margins are going to be really small. So we've got to play nice in the sandbox with regard to the next Congress. But there are a few things that they have to do that they cannot avoid responsibility for. And that is the budget. Doing the budget for next year is a must. There are tax extenders and the usual. There's a lot of discussion about dealing with the debt ceiling. Even this morning, I heard uh, Senator Booker talk about working out how to reach a compromise on that. They talked about reconciliation, but they've already used their allotment of reconciliation instructions to use that method. So I'm not really sure, but I think dealing with this issue, you might as well deal with it now because it's not going to change that substantially next year. And Republicans do have a very ambitious agenda and having to spend time and calendar time, as we've often talked about this past year, on hashing out a compromise on debt ceiling is when they could have done it now. You know what I'm saying? It just sort of, you want to clear the, the runway to deal with those issues that you ran on. And I think that both sides now are talking about 2024 already. And so the optics of that, you know, showing that you can govern is an important part of establishing your credibility for 2024. So if they are looking at it through that lens, I think that's a big issue that they may tackle. But again, the, the calendar is very short. They come back on November 14th. We have a number of issues we'd like to toss into that end of the year, and we're still working to achieve some of those goals, put some points on the board. So it remains to be seen just how much appetite they have for anything very big. And finally, Georgia has officially declared a runoff election between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. What exactly does a runoff election entail and what will it mean for the two candidates? Well, as I said before, you know, it wipes the slate clean. They have to start over and they can also fundraise. And so it just means trying to get their supporters out to vote. And I think a lot of it will be focused on ground game. How do we get our people to the polls? I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of opportunity to convince undecideds anymore. People are pretty much made up their minds. 
but I did say that, you know, there was that third party candidate who is not going to be in the race. And so I think both sides will attempt to convince those supporters to come to their side. I think enthusiasm will be driven by what happens in the remaining seats yet to be called in Nevada and Arizona, because if it's 50-50, the energy level will be higher because the stakes will be higher. If they move into the Democratic column where they're already going to have an advantage, you know, it just gives them that greater of an advantage and maybe Republican enthusiasm drops off. Who knows? But I know that they will both run energetic campaigns and Republicans don't want to lose a second time. And so I think that they will probably redouble their their efforts to get across the finish line, regardless of what happens in the other states. But I just mentioned those things because I think that they do affect the voter psyche. And I was going to just quickly speak to HUPAC's side. While we are not involved in the Georgia election, neither of those members, we know much about their health care positions or policies. We are very involved in some of the races that we are following closely. And specifically, we maxed out to Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. I know that they do a ranked choice voting. And so we are waiting. I know there's, it's going to be a Republican, of course, but it's Lisa versus someone else. And so we're waiting to see how that turns out. Of course, we have maxed out in the general and primary to Lisa uh, Murkowski, Senator Murkowski, also maxed out to Cortez Masto of Nevada. We don't know at all if she won or not, but as someone who has worked with our members from the Nevada chapter, we are anxiously awaiting those results. And then we had given to Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, who did pull out the win in a toss-up race. And we also gave to the old seat that Richard Burr, Ted Budd, who just won the Senate seat in North Carolina. So we won both of those. These competitive Senate races were sort of so far going in our favor, and we will be waiting to see in Alaska and Nevada and some of these other states as well. But overall, pretty good results for HUPAC. We'll just hold out and wait and see what happens. You know, the last thing I'll say with regard to the fallout of just the election on Tuesday is that I think there's going to be somewhat of a Republican realignment. You know, I indicated that a lot of Trump-backed candidates lost, and DeSantis did extremely well in Florida and everyone that he supported. You know, if the rest of the election night had gone the way Florida did, it would have been a wave. And so I think there's going to be a realignment, a rethinking about Republican politicians who have supported Trump. And, you know, will they realign themselves with Governor DeSantis, uh, who's indicated that he may run for president in 2024? If you look at the exit polling in Florida for Trump and the prospects of him running in 2024, it was only in the low 30s. For DeSantis, it was in the 50s. And I think it was that low only because they want to keep him as governor and not see him run for president. They like to keep him as their governor. Anyway, I think that tells you a little something about, I think you need to look at some of what happens in the next Congress through that lens as well, as things start to unfold for 2024. Wonderful. Thank you so much both of you for joining us on this podcast today. Who are we toasting to this week? Well, I think we should toast to democracy and that it worked. 
there was all sorts of fears about disruptors at polling places and so forth. And while there was a printer cartridge issue in Arizona with some pallets, that was easily rectified, right? So I don't think that there was any mass hysteria or anything like that. I think kudos to Congressman Tim Ryan, whose gracious concession to his loss in Ohio Senate race was the best I heard, who said, this is the way it's supposed to be done. It really voted well, reflected well on him and for our country. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.